Uh, it's really good to have you guys here this morning. Good to have you guys joining us online as well. I want to start off with a question today. Uh, the question is this. Have you ever had a moment where you were reminded that you were part of something bigger than yourself? Uh, maybe you were on a sports team uh, at some point in your life and you had some kind of significant victory together as a team. Uh, maybe you did something together with a group of people and it's a sense of accomplishment. Uh, or maybe you've been to a concert. You guys remember what concerts are? Where people get together in live settings and listen to music? <laughs> you miss concerts? Um, or maybe as a part of a worship gathering like this, uh, where you sense God's presence and God spoke to you in a unique and special way. Um, there's something that happens in some moments like that collectively that don't happen uh, individually. Uh, Evident Church is a part of a group of churches uh, called the Missionary Church. And this collection of churches is about 500 churches in the United States and thousands of churches around the world, um, all united by the single passion to make disciples. Um, in fact, through your giving, um, every single year, Evident Church, we are a part of planting churches, supporting missionaries, and making disciples uh, in all parts of the world. Isn't that pretty cool? That's something that I'm excited, excited about. Yeah, we can celebrate that. Some people want to clap. We can clap. Uh, so it's really neat to be a part of something that's bigger than ourselves. Um, every two years, uh, all the missionary church pastors from the U.S. would get together at something we call General Conference. And for someone who is mildly introverted like myself, the idea of getting together with large crowds of people that I only see every two years uh, is not that exciting for me. Uh, so every year I kind of dread uh, going to these events, but every time I go, I'm so encouraged and reminded because I'm reminded that I'm a part of something bigger than just myself. Make sense? And I'm reminded that we're a part of something bigger as Christians than just our little corner of what God is doing. And it's so encouraging. I just get to see friends, I get to see family, and get to spend time just encouraging um, each other. So have you ever had that type of experience? Um, maybe you didn't feel like going to church on a Sunday morning, uh, and, and, uh, or a small group, or maybe you didn't feel like going to prayer meeting, just didn't feel like it, like, like Cam was talking about. Uh, but then afterward, you're glad you did. Have you ever felt that way before? It's like, man, I don't feel like getting up and going to church today. I don't feel like tuning in online. But then once you do, and once you leave, you're like, oh man, I'm so glad that I did that. It's because there's something that happens collectively that couldn't happen just by ourselves, and being together is so important. Um, we bring comfort to each other when we're able to gather together. Um, God's word in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says this. Uh, Paul writing to the Corinthians, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. So what it's saying is that God comforts you, and then when we get together with other believers, we can comfort and encourage each other. That's one of the important parts of what church is about. So when we're with other believers, we can be reminded about God's comfort to us. Have you ever experienced that before? Where you're, you're discouraged but just getting together with other people of faith can be such an encouragement to you. It's such an important part 
of our relationship with God. So I just want to tell you that today, if you're here or online and you're struggling, if you're hurting in some way, I just want to remind you, you are in the right place. You are in the right place. And oftentimes, this is the last place we want to be when we're hurting and struggling, but it is such an important place to be so we can encourage each other. Um, This kind of comfort that we get from the church and from gathering with other believers is a kind of comfort that we don't get anywhere else. We don't get it anywhere else. So I'm excited with you guys this morning um, to open up into Revelation chapter 19. So grab your Bibles. Uh, Easy one to find. And uh, tech team, if I could ask for house lights, we've got some people that want to look in their Bibles. It may affect the online uh, viewing a little bit, but that's okay. So um, Revelation chapter 19. And we're going to look at a couple verses, uh, verses 6 through 9. And Revelation is really easy to find. It's the last book of the Bible. So start from the back, go through the maps, go through the, uh, the index. And then the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 19. So here's what God's word says, starting in verse 6. It says, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roaring of rushing waters, and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for our God, Lord our God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, write this, be, uh, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. Let me take just a minute and pray for us as we get into this passage. Heavenly Father, I pray that in the next few minutes, um, you would speak boldly and clearly through me. I pray that your word would come alive to us and would pierce our hearts and encourage us and convict us and challenge us. Thank you for the time that's been set aside for this gathering. We believe that you are here, that you are present. So we uh, give you this time, and we're excited about what you're going to do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I just have quick, uh, three quick points from this passage today, what we can do when we gather together. And the first thing is this, number one, that God has told us how the story ends. So Revelation 19, verses 6 and 7, let's go back to those. Uh, The writer says, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters. Have you ever heard the ocean before? Like not in the seashell, but like the actual ocean. (laughs) It's just this constant rush, this constant noise. And then I heard what sounded like loud peals of thunder, shouting hallelujah. What he's describing is the gathering of thousands upon thousands upon thousands of followers of Jesus, a future event standing around the throne of God, worshiping him. And it's such a loud collection of voices that it sounds like the roar of the ocean, that it sounds like loud peals of thunder, and they're declaring the the praises of God. And then it says at the end of that, it says, for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. See, we have the advantage of scripture telling us how the story ends. This is getting a glimpse of the future, and it ends in a surprising way. It ends with what? It ends with a wedding. 
that all of human history, that everything that's happening is moving forward toward a time when a bride and a groom come together. The groom is who? Jesus. Just answer Jesus anytime in church. Most of the time it's a correct answer. Jesus is the groom, and who is the bride? The church, the body of Christ, it collectively is the bride. So all of moving forward to this, this climax, this culmination of history, where we have a wedding feast with Christ, when everything is made right. That's one of the beauties of coming together as the body of Christ, is we get to remind each other, hey, we know how the story ends. We know what's going to happen. This is what it's going to be like. We get to encourage each other. You guys ever watched a movie before that really scared you? And then you watch the movie again? Does it scare you the second time? It still might, right? It still might. But when you know how it ends, it really shouldn't, right? You know that moment when the jump scare is going to happen. Or uh, this may not relate completely, but have you ever been to the eye doctor? Um, we have a relative who, who uh, is an optometrist, and he, uh, he evaluates our eyes for us. But every time the eye poof test, there's a, I'm sure there's a technical name for that <laughs> other than eye poof test. But every time they warn you, like, okay, here it comes, one, two, three, and poof, right in your eye, right, every single time. But when we know how the story ends, it gives us a comfort that the rest of the world does not have. And that's part of the beauty of the body of Christ saying, you know what, we know how the story ends. As Cam mentioned, this past week was a week of loss. We actually had a memorial service right here in this room for a young mom. And it's a heartbreaking story. But in the midst of it, God is at work. She came to, uh, to ask Jesus into her life about two weeks ago prior to her passing away. And her husband came to our Easter service our Easter service on Easter Sunday morning. So we praise God that in the midst of it, right? So when we gather together to have a memorial service, we don't grieve as those without hope. We grieve as those who know how the story ends. Amen, church? That God is going to right all the wrongs, and we are with each other to that end. Um, this is going to date me a little bit, but when I was in high school slash college, I remember a movie came out called Titanic, 1997. 1997, this movie came out, and just spoiler alert, the boat sinks, all right? Uh, it's based on the true story of the, the boat, the Titanic. Uh, but there's this scene at the end of the movie that I just love that has nothing to do with real history, but I think it's a picture of what we're talking about today. You guys remember this at the end of the movie? Uh, where the boat sinks and all that stuff happens, and at the very end, they bring all the back restored, and Jack and, what's her name? Rose, some of you know, Jack and Rose are finally reunited, and it's almost like a wedding celebration at the end. You know, my question is, where does that come from? Why do the movie producers feel compelled to do this? And I don't know if they did it for Christian reasons or not, but I think that it speaks to the fact that deep inside the human heart, uh, we have this understanding that God is going to bring everything back together. We're longing for that day, aren't we? When everything is made right and everything is put back together. See, when life gets tough, we have to remind each other that we know how the story ends. It ends with a wedding, God uniting his people with Jesus again. Another movie reference uh, slash book, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien um, in the, the books and the movies called The Lord of the Rings, there's a character named Aragorn. I got it right that time. <laughs> Aragorn, that's a tricky one to say. Uh, just spoiler alert, at the very end of it all, he gets crowned king. And this is what Tolkien writes uh, in 
his book. He says this, but when Aragorn arose, all that beheld him gazed in silence, for it seemed to them that he was revealed to them now for the first time. Tall as the sea kings of old, he stood above all that were near. Ancient of days he seemed, and yet in the flower of manhood. And wisdom sat upon his brow, and strength and healing were in his hands, and a light was about him. It's not talking about Jesus, but I can't help but think about Jesus. And what we'll see eventually at the end is we'll see Jesus sitting as the, the king of kings and the lord of lords, right? That he will rightfully be crowned in that place and we will be reunited with him again. I think we should say amen to that. And we know how the story ends. Part of why this is so important is we get to regularly remind each other, hey, we know how the story ends. We know how the story ends. Hold on, hold on, hold on. So in the midst of the, the struggles of life, uh, we can find comfort in the fact that God's told us how it ends. And it ends with a wedding celebration, and the church will be his bride. Number two, then, is this, that God calls us as Christians in the midst of this to more than comfortable Christianity. We are not called to be cultural Christians. We're not called to be Christians only in our name, but Christians in how we live. So verses 7 and 8, here's what it says. Let us rejoice and be glad and give God glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. When we're together, we can remind each other what God has called us each to. Um, so the imagery is of a bride and a wedding feast. Um, the bride usually doesn't show up wearing sweatpants and a t-shirt to the wedding. Now maybe, right, there's all kinds of ways, but usually there's hours of preparation. Uh, there's not just hours of preparation, days of preparation, months of preparation. <laughs> Anybody engaged in the room? You guys know the planning process, right? Sometimes up to a year or longer to plan a wedding because the bride wants to present herself to the groom as beautiful as possible, right? Such an important time, so they prepare themselves for that. And it's no different for the church. What this passage is describing is that the church is getting herself ready to be re reunited with Christ. Isn't that cool to think about? That part of what we're doing here on a day-to-day, -day, a week-to-week, a month-to-month -month basis is not just filling time, but we're preparing ourselves to present ourselves to Christ as a beautiful bride, so it says the righteous acts of God's people are part of those fine linens that, that we wear and present to Christ. But it also says that some of these linens are given to her. Because the reality is we, we are not a perfect bride, are we? We are not a perfect church. You don't have to say amen, but we all understand uh, that we're not. And we never will be in our own efforts. We can't perfectly worship God. But Jesus' righteousness is given to us to wear as a beautiful white gown that God is purifying us and will present us as a beautiful bride to Jesus. Make sense? Um, this call to be made ready um, is uncomfortable, and it requires life-changing sacrifices, and it requires countercultural pursuits, but it is absolutely, absolutely necessary and worth it. So part of what we do here on a regular basis is just to remind ourselves, like, hey, we're called to prepare ourselves to present ourselves to Christ. We're called to, to go against culture at times 
in order to present ourselves to Jesus. The cool thing is this, too, that the bride is not just you or I as individual Christians. Who is the bride? Us, right? Us, together, collectively, as a cohesive whole. This should fill us with a love for the church, a love for the body of Christ, because together we are going to be presented to Jesus um, as the bride. I know that in, in Christian communities, oftentimes we talk about an individual relationship with God. I preached that on Easter Sunday. I preached to everybody that God wants to, he's calling your name. He wants you to open the door. He wants you to have a personal relationship with him. But that's half of the relationship. That if all we ever talk about is a personal relationship, we're missing the other half. And that is this relationship right here, that we together are the body of Christ, that we are the bride of Christ. One of the things we say here at Evident and in Crash Course um, is that um, your relationship with God is an individual decision, but it's meant to be lived out in community. It's meant to be lived out together. And uh, this is such an important part. So the same thing is true for heaven. Let me remind us of this, that heaven is not just a place of individual bliss. That it is a place of collective worship of God. Does that make sense? As we read this passage, it talked about the multitudes. It didn't talk about you and you and you. Like, you get to be in your own little corner. You get to worship God by yourself. But we're doing this together, part of a bigger story, a bigger voice being raised up to God. That's one of the reasons why Sunday mornings are so powerful and important. That we come together, we get a glimpse of what the future is going to be like. Have you guys ever experienced or noticed that when we come together like this? It's like we come together, and this is a reminder of our chance to worship God. It's almost like we get a little bit of a glimpse of it. We get to do it a little bit ahead of time, because we're going to be doing that when we're in heaven with God. We get to remind each other and celebrate together that Jesus is alive, and we live with great anticipation of his return. Amen, church? Um, Rod uh, Dreher, in his book called The Benedict Option, A Strategy for Christians in a Post-Christian Nation, he wrote this, the best witness Christians can offer to a post-Christian America is simply to be the church as fiercely and creatively as possible. Too many of our churches function as secular entertainment centers with religion's morals slapped on top when they should be functioning as a living, breathing body of Christ. See, when we take churches and make them entertainment centers and just slap morality on top of it, we're missing the whole point, aren't we? That the church does not exist for us, but we exist to worship God, and we're being built into the bride of Christ. So it should be uncomfortable. There should be challenge. There should be some, some uh, frustration in the midst of it because we're being molded into Christ, in that likeness of Christ. So we should resist this tempting draw of empty, comfortable Christianity, remembering that it is the church, all of us together, with all of its flaws, struggles, and frustrations, that will be the bride of Christ. And my third point is this, that we can rest right now. In the meantime, we can rest in the hope and anticipation of the comfort that is to come. Verse 9 of Revelation 19 says, Then the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. Um, as Christians, uh, we have a reason for hope that goes beyond anything this world can imagine. So as we gather, as we gathered this past week for that memorial service and, and services like those, 
we don't stand up here without hope, but we declare the hope that we have in Jesus Christ, right? That this is not all that there is, that we know how the story ends, and that gives us tremendous hope. So we embrace uncomfortable faith. At times, our faith is uncomfortable. At times, um, our church can be uncomfortable. Um, but one day, we will be reunited with Christ as his bride at the wedding supper of the Lamb. Um, the angel in this passage says these are the true words of God. We need that reassurance sometimes because we have a tendency sometimes to lose hope and to doubt but he's, he's reminding them that this is not a fairy tale, that this will happen. It's a promise that brings great comfort to all of us. Um, author Brett McCracken, again, I can't get over that name, I'm sorry. <laughs> author Brett McCracken, uh, it's a fantastic book, actually the same name as this series called Uncomfortable, uh, same topics that we're going through. He writes this, he says, We are mysteriously part of a cosmic plan that God has eternally known. And we have an, internal, an eternal inheritance. The discomfort and disdain that we endure in this life is, as a peculiar people will be a blip in the timeline of our infinite history. We will at last be the perfect church we presently long for, the unblemished bride and an unimaginable wedding feast. The dream will be real. Somebody say amen. That is what we long for to be with God, to be presented as that bride, and that is what we are striving for. The point is this, the wedding supper of the Lamb is coming. It is coming. And we gather together week in and week out to remind each other of our hope, of our endurance, and the promise of what is to come. This is the reason why we wake up early on Sunday mornings, isn't it? Instead of sleeping in that we do this to remind each other and to place ourselves in these uncomfortable situations and uh, so we can encourage each other. We have the hope that everyone needs. So throughout this series, uh, we've talked about the uncomfortable aspects of Christianity, about the importance of being together in church community, and we've also talked about the reason for all of this. So this uncomfortable or discomfort of faith can either push us closer to God or it can push us further away. So here's my question and challenge for today. Here's the question for this morning is this. When you feel uncomfortable, when Christianity is inconvenient for you, and when it requires sacrifice, will you press into God, or will you run from him? When Christianity gets tough, will you lean in, or will you drift away? So one of the things that I do uh, as I'm evaluating life, it's kind of my personality, but also kind of my role as a pastor, is I try to evaluate what do we see going on in the world around us, and then what do we see in Scripture. And sometimes it can be a little bit interesting and confusing because we see some of the same things. Like, for example, we see culture talking a lot about diversity, right, and how diversity is a good thing. And honestly, the Bible says the same exact thing, doesn't it? Different motivations— different end outcomes to the reasons for it. But the Bible says, yes, one, we're all going to come together, every nation, every tribe, every tongue, to worship the one God, right? So that is the motivation of it. And then I also see in culture, and I see in the church, this, this conversation about the need for community. We see it in culture, right? That people 
around you, and that's good, and that's important. For me, I, it kind of, I, I look at those things, and I, in some ways, kind of question, okay, God, uh, what does that mean? If culture is saying the same things that, that we're saying here, what is the difference, right? What is the difference? And here is the difference. Matthew 18, verse 20, um, Jesus said this, where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. So I believe one of the reasons why culture recognizes the importance of community is because it's true that we need community. Because that's the way God designed it to be. That's the way God wired us to be. And the difference between any other kind of community and relationships and, and Christian community is what? It is the presence of God. It is the presence of God. So you don't get that at bowling league, I guess unless it's a Christian bowling league. All right, there's a caveat. <laughs> you don't get that in your reading club. You don't get that in these other groups. Now, those things are great, and those things are important. But what we get in Christian communities, we get with each other, we get the presence of God in our midst. And that's what we need. That is what is so important about the body of Christ and about living together in Christian community. So as we close, I want to have you guys stand with me. I'm going to invite the band to come up, and we're going to read a few verses together, the verses we started out with. And I know that in this series, uh, we're pushing and encouraging people to sign up for this most recent uh, season of small groups that we have starting next week. And I want to encourage you to do that. I want to encourage you to lean into um, this Christian community that God has given to you. But beyond that, I want you to find comfort and encouragement in the body of Christ, that you are part of something bigger than yourselves. And this is so, so important for us to have as a part of our lives.